hello and welcome to Center Trail. I'm John. And I'm Tara. Regular listeners are confused. <laughs> Why is John speaking first? This is so strange. <laughs> you had a hard time even getting the words out of your mouth. I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> the main reason I don't usually host is I already talk plenty. Uh, but today, where I, I get to quiz you, Tara. Because you do. first of all, congratulations to Tara Strauch of the History Program for your most recent publication. Congratulations. Thank you. You know I'm going to turn this around on you very soon. No, it's not allowed. It is. Uh, and Tara, so it's in a edited volume called Quakers and Native Americans out of Brill Press. And um, I'm going to go ahead and just basically ask you, Tara, so would you mind sharing what your book chapter is about? And then later on, we'll talk about how it came into existence. Sure. Um, so my article, um, I'm act- I'm going to make sure I don't screw up the title of my own article. <laughs> it had a lot of titles before it ended on this one. <laughs> is of African and Indian descent, creating mission and memory in Western Ohio, 1805 to 1850. Um, and basically this is a short article that looks at the formation of a couple of communities in Western Ohio um, before the Civil War um, that were intentionally mixed race. So they are intentionally, there are white um, families, there are black families, and there are mixed race families um, who are all living together. And I was really interested in looking at these communities um, because their role um so these are farming families, um, and these are families that are going to stay in the community for a long time. Um, and thinking about how and why these people wanted to create an intentionally mixed-race community was really fascinating to me. So this is fascinating to me, because this is all news to me in the sense I often talk in my world history class, when we talk about the Americas, one of the things, because it's kind of in the textbooks, mm-hmm. is how race shows up in South America versus how race shows up in North America. And right. In a very broad sense but a very very broad sense in North America there's more segregation there's more intentional segregation Mm -hmm. obviously than is kind of possible in South America for like basically logistical reasons and everything else (laughs) not to mention in terms of how many women are coming from Europe which isn't very many versus obviously the slave situation Mm -hmm. in the southern United States so this is complete news to me although obviously I know that that whatever laws and stuff you have people are still getting together so how do we get into mixed race, first of all, in an early 19th century context? And how do we get from there into an intentionally mixed race community, which is something I'd never heard of in an American context before? Yeah. So um, these are families that are coming to Ohio from the Virginia-North Carolina border, mm-hmm. um, essentially kind of right along the coastline. And these the these families have lived together, the white, the Black and the mixed race have lived together for a long time, for generations. Um, and these mixed race families are often mixed um, um, white, black, and Native American. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point that many of these often identify fully as um, Native American or as mixed race white Native American, not necessarily um, black, even though most of the time that is true too. Mm-hmm. And these are people who are from relatively poor areas in the colonial period and uh, and who have been kind of moved there because of their especially Native American status. Mm-hmm. Um, Native Americans are getting pushed out of um, kind of like more populated parts of Virginia and into the crappiest lands in Virginia and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and these families start to kind of develop there. There are several Native American reservations in this area, um, many of whom are mixed race, Native American and black. 
Um, and so this is kind of, this is where poor people live. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about poor whites, um, poor free black families, enslaved black families, and poor Native Americans who are all kind of living together on the margins of society. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Quakerism is spreading, um, especially to the white families in this area. And so you have white families who are converting to be to Quakerism, um, and Quakerism, Quakers become definitively anti-slavery right after the american revolution and if i can interject really quickly because i as i understand it so the quakers have this definite reputation for being kind of an abolitionist obviously mm-hmm. a religious movement but an abolitionist movement or abolition informed in abolitionism i'm not doing a job of being host today at all um <laughs> so when you say definitively anti-slavery just for the irish mm-hmm. guy doesn't anything about the quakers yeah. um so what what does that mean does that mean that as, as a group they took the decision like do they codify this and how they're talking about it? Or is it just something that basically, effectively, if you're a Quaker, you're on board with this mission kind of thing? Like, what, How does that work? Yeah, so before the American Revolution, there are plenty of anti-slavery Quakers, but that's not necessarily a stance that the more organized church takes. Right. Um, and after the American Revolution, that starts to happen. These yearly meetings that are organized on a um, state-by-state basis mm-hmm. start to, to make it clear that slavery is not an acceptable thing for Quakers to participate in, mm-hmm. um, which is really hard if you're a Quaker in the South. Right. Um, because it's not just not owning slaves. You're not supposed to interact with people who are owning slaves. Um, and both of those are, are right hard if you have lived in the South. If you're a white person who's lived in the South, it, like it's hard not to interact right. with slavery. And so it starts to put a lot of pressure on Quakers in the South um, to either leave the Quaker church, which many of them do, uh-huh. or to go somewhere where it's easier to be a Quaker. Right. Um, now, there are plenty of people who remain Quakers and stay in the South, but there are lots of people who either leave the church or move mm-hmm. to places like Ohio. Right. Um, and so these poor Quakers um, who are living amongst free people of color and mixed race families um, are flocking to Ohio and Indiana uh-huh. in particular. There's cheap land there. It's better land than what they're living on. And it's easier to not get in trouble with, with the Quaker rules because there okay. is no slavery. Right. Um, but a lot of them right, have freed slaves that they owned because they were owning slaves until it wasn't allowed. And then they started to free slaves. Um, yeah. And it ends up with all these weird situations. Like some um, Quaker churches end up responsible for slaves, right? Someone dies and is a slave owner and it's really hard to manumit slaves in these mm-hmm. places. And so like the, the Quaker congregation kind of ends up with these um, former slaves or people who are still enslaved that they're taking care of. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had been living in these mixed communities for a long time. So the, the, in my case, what happens is that one particular family, the Marmon family, um, kind of come and they scope out some land in Western Ohio. They find land that they like, um, and they start moving their family up there um, from North Carolina to Ohio. And within five years, three people of color who are living in the exact same county um, start moving, the exact same county in North Carolina start moving to this tiny little place in western ohio hmm. um so they're clearly this is a coordinated effort this is where the intentional comes yes in. this is or where the, the intentional yeah. comes in right they're they are moving they're helping people that they have lived with before and so some of these white quakers um i guess are impoverishing themselves basically right or at least are changing their economic status 
if you're going for someone who owns a slave in a southern community to to you know to revoking or also to define that to rejecting that mm -hmm. and basically moving away to continue practicing your faith that must mean some kind of change in economic status, I assume, or not necessarily? Um, no, in a lot of ways, this is actually an economic opportunity because, oh, again, okay. the land that they were living on was really crappy land mm -hmm. um, in this part of North Carolina and Virginia. Okay, so the stupid question, Albert. This is, I'm actually blushing saying this. That's okay. Forgive me for being so ignorant. So there are poor people who own slaves. Like it's not as in I did. I didn't think that all. I knew that slave slave. I knew that slaveholding went beyond the classic plantation guy in the white suit. You know. You know what I mean. And overseers. Mm -hmm. I, I obviously it was a widespread thing. But like how, at what you know, how modest an income can you have and still be somebody who perhaps owns another person in this system? Well, it really depends, right? If you inherit slaves, right, then you've inherited slaves you could sell them and make money if you are a poor person sure you can't um but there's a lot of scenarios right and mm -hmm. most commonly a, a slave owner owns five or fewer slaves like that's the most common scenario in the right. south right. um it is not common at all to own like 50 to 100 slaves it's right really those uncommon. large plantation yeah. type models right? um so it, you don't have to be a wealthy person to own a slave right okay but to be really clear like the the people i'm talking about who are the white people mm -hmm. who are moving none of them owned slaves actively when they left north carolina maybe oh, right. generations okay. before them they'd had them or friends had them i see um but they themselves don't have slaves i see okay um so they start kind of creating this community that looks like the community that they had in mm -hmm. North Carolina. Um, there are free people of color. Um, these free people of color are almost always mixed race and identify themselves as such, right? So they don't mm. see themselves as as black. Mm -hmm. um, they And many of them are really proud, particularly of their Native American heritage. And there's a lot of reasons for that, um, mm -hmm. but we don't probably have time to get into. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I mean, is, is being black any kind of a... Is it a negative connotation or is it more a sense of just they've, they've, they they want to celebrate the Native American side more than... Well, uh, the, it is. This is an opportunity, right, to not be just black. And right. there is there is more freedom for someone who is a Native American right. at this point. Like legal, legislatively and everything, like mm -hmm. in the public space. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so we know they do... The, the white community does things like purchase land and then sell it to these um, mixed race people mm -hmm. um, because it's... The laws in Ohio are not conducive for people of color. Mm -hmm. um, it's technically illegal for them to be there. Mm -hmm. um, and so they are, these white Quakers are selling them land. Um, they are, And this land is really, really intentionally in the middle of a Quaker settlement because there are non-Quakers around. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a form of protection mm -hmm. in a lot of ways for these people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, the people of color are bringing their friends and family um, to Western Ohio and are mm -hmm. helping them settle onto land. Right. Um, so it's this really interesting attempt to essentially recreate the community that they had in the South. Um, not that this is a perfect community, right? There's still sure. lots of racism. Um, one of the best examples of this is that um, one of the men who is a white Quaker who um, helps kind of buy and sell land for these people of color um, is also a lawyer and is involved in a legal case um, um, and gets a person of color's testimony thrown out because he emphasizes mm -hmm. the black 
the blackness of this person of color. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't accept this witness testimony because he's black, Mm -hmm. which is a term that this lawyer doesn't use very often to describe the people that are living around him. Right. Um, uh, But in this case, he he right. So racism is still present. Um, These people of color have don't have very much access to schools. Um, They have to pay for. Um, Methodist, African Methodist, Episcopal and um, Baptist churches that are the churches they want to have. They're the ones who are kind of paying for that and creating these church structures structures, and it's expensive. Um, So they're not perfect communities, but they're really fascinating to think about the intentionality that people are. So they're not just multiracial, they're they're multiconfessional then. And and, and there's very few Quakers of color or is that? Right. Um, So Quakers... And this is a kind of a really interesting thing to settle. Quakers don't believe that people of color would should be Quakers. There are almost no black Quakers. But that's but that's like a lack of a missionary impulse or something. That's not an exclusive no. thing, or is it? I mean, right. So there are Quaker missions. Um, where right. they go and try to help educate and civilize uh-huh. um, Native Americans and African Americans. Right, right. Um, and there are some of those in this very area that they're living in. Um, but they, no, they, they just, they don't think that's the appropriate Christianity. Quakers, and they don't see as the appropriate Christianity for people of color. Okay. So is that because there are already pre- existing churches these people are participating uh, Is that because there's already <laughs> existing churches these people are participating in, or... Oh, like, no, it, why is, is it not an appropriate religion for people of color? Because it's too civilized for them. Okay. Yeah. This is all news to me. Yes. So so the Quakers who have such a good reputation for being abolitionist and anti-slavery and are at the heart of this really interesting movement of people up into Ohio, uh, at a certain point they still have, but they still think, yeah, but at the same time, this yes. is for us and that's for you. Absolutely. Fascinating. What's really fascinating about my little community, which is Logan County, Ohio, is kind of the community that I'm looking at here, mm-hmm. um, is that we there actually is at least one and maybe two families of color who are Quakers. Mm. Um, and, and that's this not is, common. That, like, it's almost unheard of, like wow. to the point where some people would say, like, they don't exist. <laughs> um, but they do exist in this place. Um, and they're a fascinating family um, because they don't seem to have been Quakers in North Carolina. They become, as far oh. as I can tell, Quakers in Ohio. Um, and then there's there's kind of family changes. Um, and the, the father of the family ends up in another Quaker community in Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. That's, again, an intentionally mixed-race community. Right. Um, and he is also on the rolls of the Quaker church there. So this isn't just, like, mm-hmm. some weird, random, like, blip. Or right. he ac- they accidentally got on the rolls. Um, and we even have a description of him at this Quaker, going to a Quaker service, um, someone who comes to the community observes, like, there's a black man Quaker, and he's well mm-hmm. um, liked by the community, and isn't mm-hmm. this amazing? Mm-hmm. So there are clearly really interesting things going on in this community um, that are allowing for a, a black Quaker to exist. I don't mean to harp on this, but I'm just really fascinated because I'm assuming so much of the Quaker position on slavery was informed by, you know, a Christian reading. Mm-hmm. This just is incompatible with being a good yeah. person. And of course, I know that many people of color are Christian of some denomination, right? Mm-hmm. Many, not yeah. all, or whatever. So I'm just, I'm still fascinated. <laughs> 
so why aren't they? If you don't mind, I'm terribly sorry. So it's why fine. why aren't they welcoming these people into the church as well? Why it doesn't sound like they're necessarily like again it like it doesn't sound like they're necessarily aggressively refusing people entry, but there's no right. there's no energy to draw them in. No, I mean, is it more to do with kind of how they're looking at their religion more broadly, or is it really specific to the racial difference between the people? Um, so let me tell you, answer that by telling you a little bit about what the Quakers do. Mm-hmm. So, um, when the Quakers come and have these intentional communities, they help the, the colored community, um, right. to, to use the term of the time, to, obviously. Yeah, to use yeah. the term of the time, um, to create the churches that they want. And so there's this really interesting relationship between Quakers and African Methodist Episcopal mm-hmm. um, and um, Baptist churches right. where, you know, they donate money. They help mm-hmm. buy the land for the buildings to be built on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they encourage this creation of these churches. And there are a couple different interpretations, right? On one level, there's this attitude in the 19th century that, um, African-Americans should get to have churches that are run by African-Americans for African-Americans. And some Quakers clearly ascribe to this. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also the Quakers also often express like that. Those churches are better for them because they're emotional creatures and Quakerism. um, It's not that kind of emotion. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Right. So there's also still some blatant racism underlying. Um, and I should mention, like, this is pretty controversial today in the Quaker community. Mm. Um, some Quakers have a really hard time accepting that as anti-slavery uh, abolitionists as many Quakers were, mm-hmm. um, and as the institution of Quakerism wa- was, that, that this kind of cultural racism could continue to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so this whole, this article came out of um, a conference that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um that was on Quakers and um, Native Americans in particular. And um, mm-hmm. again, because my people of color identify themselves very often as Native Americans, there's right. some interesting things going on. We don't have time to talk about. Sure. Um, we don't worry, guys. We'll get to that in a future <laughs> podcast for sure. Because I have all kinds of questions about that. <laughs> um, um, but um, there were lots of Quakers at this conference um, and lots of academics at this uh-huh. conference. And right. um, it was a this was a really hard conversation to have because mm. it's a it is a painful thing to realize that um, your denomination and many of these people become Quakers in part because they see it as mm-hmm. a, a really morally grounded um, Christian right. denomination. Um, so it's really difficult to mm-hmm. kind of process. Like, how can this denomination that I feel a part of and that speaks mm-hmm. to me um, have done these terrible things? Especially when being abolitionist is such a badge of honor, I would think, yeah. mm-hmm. in that community, that they would be yeah. rightfully proud that, you know, our community made a decision to do this. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's fascinating. But we're talking about these are all Christians, of course. Yeah. So And, of course, they've chosen to live together in this community that they want. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this came up in your research or not, but... Um, how are they how are they interacting with nearby communities in Ohio? Do we get any sense of that? Are they are they kind of isolated or is... there are lots of Quaker communities in this part of Ohio. Okay. And so there are other communities like this. Right. Um n- not a whole lot who are as mixed, um, where the percentage sure. of people of color is as high. Um, but there are other communities that they can interact with. Um and these communities are also missioning to Native Americans who are still living in western Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um so there are 
four reservations within um, a short distance from this community. Mm. And they have missions on those reservations as well. Right. Um, and again, these are reserva- these are missions where they have um, schools and they build mills um, and mm-hmm. um, kind of try to help, again, Native Americans civilize, what they mm-hmm. think of as civilize. Sure. Um, but there are no Quaker churches on these mm. missions, right? So they're treating Native Americans the same way that they're treating these people of color in their community. Right. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, so they're not they're not ostracized because they have these other Quakers. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you get closer to the Civil War, you see a lot more violence um, or mm-hmm. suspected violence between non-Quakers in and in and around these communities and people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are murders. Um, there's um, kind of running people out of town, and famously, there are um, freed slaves who are being brought up to these areas um, as you get closer to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes increasingly common if someone in the South wants to free their slaves or does that in their will, um, they set aside money to buy land in the North hmm. um, to settle their former slaves on because it's right. really hard to have former slaves in the South. The, the laws make that really tricky. Right. Um, and so oftentimes they'll try to settle these former slaves near Quaker communities because there's an, a belief that they will be less violent to them. So um, this is like a known thing then. In this is a known thing, yeah. yeah um, and so there are a group of slaves um, um, who are coming from Virginia and they're going to be settled um, just not very far from this Logan County community. Um, and they're coming up by canal. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the, the Randolph slaves. John Randolph was a really interesting um, political figure in Virginia. Um, and the non-Quaker white communities along this canal um, basically just keep refusing to let them the former slaves get off the, the canal mm-hmm. boat and threatening violence. Um, and it's not until these communities can get close enough to a Quaker community that they can find a safe space, really. And you mentioned Quakers in the South, you know, more obvious questions. I mean, is Ohio kind of the heartland of American Quakerism at this time? Or is Quakerism like a Midwestern thing? Or is it really kind of, you know, is it as far as the U.S. is extending? Is it like a quote-unquote national religion? Well, that's what's poorly framed. But <laughs> yeah. Like, are there Quakers? I guess there are Quakers everywhere, of course. But is, does, is there an added level, I guess, that Ohio is known as like a Quaker place anyway, and the Quakers are doing this? Or am I jumping to a conclusion? No, there are a lot of Quakers in this part of Ohio and also in Indiana. And this is pretty close to the Indiana Mm -hmm. Ohio line. Um, And these are Quakers who are moving. A lot of them are coming from the South, but others who are coming from kind of Philadelphia and Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania more generally and who are moving West, right, with everyone else who's moving West at the time. Um, But there are increasingly, like, the, the, the... population of Quakers in the South is, is decreasing pretty actively. Because, um, again, it's just really hard to be a Quaker in the South. Right. And you can just become a Methodist or a Baptist or, or whatever. or, or if, whatever. You, if you know. staying in the South is what you feel like you need to do mm-hmm. economically or mm-hmm. is what you want to do because that's where your families are, right. um, then your options increasingly become either to live in a Quaker enclave, which sure. there are, sure. um, or to leave or to sure. stop being Quaker. Or if you disagree with the Quakers' position on slavery yeah. also. Yeah, right. You're from Ohio. I am. <laughs> and you're a historian of religion. Mm-hmm. So I want to give you a chance. So you already mentioned being at the conference and stuff. Like, what are what are the nuts and bolts of how this all came together? So, like, I mean, you know, where are the archives and, and where did the initial inspiration come from? How does this all come together? You are handing me a softball to give a shout out to my mother. Of course you are. <laughs> She's one of our most loyal listeners. How could I not Hi, do Jana. that? Hi, <laughs> um, I Hello, Mrs. Strauss. <laughs> Mrs. Thompson. 
I'm sorry, Mrs. Thompson. Hello, <laughs> Mrs. Thompson. I'm leaving that in. I'm not editing it out. Uh, um, so I have always been fascinated by rural black communities as long as I've been a historian, in part because um, my mom grew up in rural Western Ohio where there was um, a rural black community. Um, and I just found that really fascinating, you know, how in this, it, a really white area, how mm-hmm. do you end up with these enclaves of, of black farmers? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of started just, you know, in all my copious spare time researching something else, because why not? <laughs> because I don't know what you're talking. About. I know uh, you, none of us ever do that as <laughs> academics just can't stop ourselves from researching things that we don't really have time to research. Uh, and I, I started to be really fascinated by a lot of these um, communities insistence that they were also part Native American. Mm-hmm. And I found that a really fascinating claim, um, especially because for some of them, they could back it up with proof um mm-hmm. right this was not just an attempt to kind of change their racial status and their mm-hmm. thus their social status um so i kind of fell into researching it that way and i realized there are all these really fabulous small um local history historical societies that have cool collections mm-hmm. um and no one ever comes to see them <laughs> <laughs> um, because they're small and so they're not cataloged you can't get online and see what they have you kind of right. have to go to the place yeah and so when i got the job here it became a in the middle of Kentucky, it became more feasible to go to some of these small local mm-hmm. um, historical societies and, and dig through what they have. And um, yeah. so that's what I did to find a lot of this. It was really yeah. fun. That's great. And all this stuff is there. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. You know, the Internet's a wonderful thing and everything. But like there's a lot of these archives it's going to be a very long time before their their stuff is just there and ready to be grabbed. And it maybe it'll never happen. Yeah. And, and there's maybe it shouldn't doesn't have to happen either. You know, yeah, and you know, most of these places are run by volunteers. They do an amazing job, right? They are volunteers. Mm-hmm. They have other jobs or, you know, they don't have training. And, um, right. you know, they, they do an amazing job of trying to collect and preserve and protect their communities histories. Um, and I, I think any chance that people get to kind of go into those places and contribute if if they're looking for contributions I, I always have people who are asking me like what do i do with this you know yeah family source right um and that's usually my answer is like do you have a local historical society mm-hmm. or a museum of any kind like go there yeah um because they're going to be interested um more mm-hmm. interested than like maybe a institute like a academic institutions library is going to be able to be right um and even just even just walking in and talking to those people will make them very happy yeah so and you'll learn something you, yeah go yeah. in and say hello yeah well that was probably enough about a tiny little community <laughs> no i think that was really good thank you very much tara and congratulations again thank you and thank you all for listening and we will hopefully be back next week with something else Something else. We'll figure it out. Stay tuned. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Bye.